show today, FD Live, Brian Brzezinski, Kratz. Oh, yeah. Brian was good yesterday. He was, he's always good. I know, but people were sending in two things. One, the fact that they liked some of his comments and his authentic takes, but also that he has his own word. Wamboozled. Wamboozled. <laughs> the Angels got wamboozled, Kratz. Oh, man. Worst contract ever. Uh, Somebody rewrote it, and when they were retweeting it or writing an article about what he said, said he said bamboozled. I was like, eh, do I tell him wamboozled is nope. a way better word? Wamboozled. I agree. Wamboozled over bamboozled. If you're in the chat, let us know if you agree. Mm -hmm. uh, also, from yesterday, when we went over the veteran rate of to play or not to play. Uh, veteran and a player that I really liked, Jermaine Dye, chimed in on Instagram and had a little back and forth with Brzezinski. <laughs> it was fun. So let's show it. Remember, uh, yesterday, AJ told us how Jermaine Dye once turned down some dough to say, you know what, I'm worth more than that. And Jermaine wanted to clarify the numbers. Thank you. Which was great. I, I thought it was it. hilarious. And I'm a fan. So he said, one year, six million. AJ Totally wrong for that. He didn't even have the team right. It was Washington <laughs> for one million for one year with incentives that could get it oh. to three million. AJ with the ah oh, well, I was trying to give you more money response, and he said, right. and then and he, he texted said something me. else, right? No, then oh, he, he texted, texted me. He texted me personally and was like, "Dude, what what's up with that?" And I'm like, "Hey, man, I'm like Scott Boris, dude. I was trying to get you more money. You you wouldn't hold out long <laughs> enough. So what do you want me to do now? Listen, uh, we try to get things right on here, and I made a mistake. I." I misremembered what he told me. So it was Washington for $1 million incentives. I could get him to $3 million, and uh, I love Jermaine. He had a great conversation. We laughed about it. He's like, it's all good. But he just wanted to make sure the facts are right. So there you go. Everyone, you know, apology, whatever you want to call it, a mea culpa, whatever. But there it is. I'm sorry, Jermaine. And I'm glad we set the story straight. His one other comment on Insta was, I wouldn't have turned down $6 million to any team if that was offered. That's Never what he told me, case. too. That's exactly, he texted me the exact same thing. I wouldn't have turned down six million. I was like, all right, well, what about five? Yeah, that was good. I like that. Well, no, it's good. At least also, he, someone told him, so someone's watching. Yes, you're you're reciting things from a while ago. Yeah, I was like, you're not going to nail every number. At least the story is more what we wanted to hear yeah, about. Yeah, well, I'm sorry, Jermaine. I apologize. <laughs> I misremembered. Who said I misremembered? Somebody's like, I misremembered. Who Mark McGuire. That? Was it Mark McGuire? I thought he did that oh, in, in, in the corner. Roger Clemens. Oh, Clemens. Or I could do this and say, I'm not here to talk about the past. Isn't that Rafi Palmero, what he did? Uh, or Sammy Everybody Sosa. had something. No, that I'm was McGuire. That was McGuire with the subpoena. I think Sosa was the, was not speaking. Oh, Palmero was the one who said, I have never, ever. Yeah. And then he got, then about, but then month, he did. Then about two months later, he went, he got on the suspended list. Oh, that was fun. Good uh, yeah. Sorry. But well, sorry, Jermaine. I apologize. I still love you. You still baseball reference, players. Jermaine Dye. Very underrated. Huh. Agreed. I he actually did fan. break his shin once, too. He really broke his he shin. He really broke his shin. Like he, he like had to, have, that's why the A's one time let him go. He came to the White Sox. And you know what else is a great story about Jermaine? And, uh, I'm I'm pretty sure I'm right on this one. <laughs> he had another contract, so he he agreed to terms with the White Sox. Okay. In 2005, before the off season, or before the season, and another team after he had already agreed came and said, "Hey, we'll give you more money." And he went and he said, "I already agreed." Like he didn't sign it, but had already agreed to terms. And he said, "I already agreed. I'm going to go to the White Sox." And then we end up winning the World Series. He ended up being World Series MVP. 
I could be wrong. So he honored the loyalty? He honored the loyalty of saying that I've already agreed to terms with him, even though another team came in the last minute and said, we'll give you more money. I don't know. I don't know the team, but I'm don't again, let the I, facts. Don't let the facts get in the way of a good story. AJ. I'm pretty sure this one's facts. <laughs> Otherwise he's not on the 05 White Sox. That's yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm I mean, pretty, I'm again, I feel like I'm a legend's lounge is coming. Oh, yeah. We can have Jermaine. He'd be great. But I'm just saying like, I'm Territory. pretty sure that, I'm, that, <laughs> that that yeah because i remember talking to him and i was like when i signed there he had agreed and he's and he told me that or maybe he told the media i don't know but i'm pretty sure that and that's an awesome story that is a great story that's all getting posted tonight too and we're going to make sure that we get hold on let confirmed. me text him and make sure that i find out before we post. <laughs> no no i want to post it and then get the organic public response for the world to see i'm i'm I, listen i Need it. You know what? If I'm wrong, it's a great story, Jermaine, and you should run with it because it makes you look like a great dude. So let's go with it. We're just going to make it up. That's now. wild. Take Jermaine Dye away from the 05 White Sox. Never know what happens. Mm. We probably do. I can guarantee we don't win the World Series. Okay. Well, that's pretty cool. You know, adding players to a good core always helps. So with that, we'll charge the mound and we'll go over another son of a rich dude who spoke. And that's Joe Polad, who's basically running the Twins these days, right? He's kind of the head honcho, essentially. Yes, Jim gave it to him, I think, last year or yeah. two years ago, maybe. I asked my dad for a team. He said no. <laughs> <laughs> but we do have oh. an epidemic in baseball where sons of billionaires are um, ruining the sport. Joe Polad uh, mm. on WCCO radio, when asked about the payroll dropping, he pointed at... I'm going to add this part. Everyone's favorite example, the Tampa Bay Rays, because everyone in baseball can be the Rays, and said, quote, there are other ways to win, and that, quote, they are focusing on other methods of winning currently. Mm-hmm. But no, he used the Rays and the Orioles, were the two. The Rays and the Orioles are having lower payrolls, turning out very successful products on the field, but investing in other areas of the business. What does that mean? That's like what the Marlins are doing. You hire a few people for, you know, a hundred grand each. And you say, see, we're investing in other aspects of the team besides player payroll. So also the quote here, he outright said, quote, the bigger name still on the free agent market that fans are hoping for. We are not in the market to make a signing there. We are not going to go out and spend 30 million on a singular free agent right now. All that part we knew. Well, yeah, that was given. They they cut their payroll this year. But he also, I, I listened to not the whole interview, but a lot of this interview. He also, you know, blame the TV, which I get. Every every team is, but they signed a one year deal. I get they don't want to send that, but their their payroll right now is like thirty some thirty five ish million under what it was last year. So they still have room to add guys. Think about if they added a Blake Snell or oh someone like that. I mean, think about what it would do, not only for their team but for their fan base. I mean, they they broke a streak of twenty plus years of not having won a postseason series. And they do it last year, and they get in, and they play the Astros. And it was, you know, they lost in four. It was a, it was a close series. But think if they – I mean, they lost Sonny Gray. They lost some guys. Think if they brought in a Blake Snell or a Jordan Montgomery to pitch there. I mean, that would be a, that would be a look really nice on those Twins teams. Maybe they didn't enjoy the playoffs. Maybe they're like, <laughs> this was not as awesome as we thought. Like, we, got, we won, so we got to keep playing. What a stark contrast. We're going to hit – we're going to hit John Middleton's comments later. But he said he was angry after they lost. He was angry. Like, and this and this guy's over here going, playoffs were fun, but you know what? 
we want to emulate two teams that the way they've been doing it, they still don't have a World Series. True. The Rays haven't won. They made it. They haven't won. The Orioles haven't, been, haven't won a World Series since 83, I think it is, with Kyle Ripken's rookie year. Yeah, but they like their model of profitability and efficiency. And, you know, for the Twins, all kidding aside for a second, I mean, they hadn't done shit in the postseason for a long time, right? Since the AJ days. Yeah. The fans deserve better than this. After putting a season like this together, after quite a bit of pain, a lot of the time over the past two decades, you finally have really built a nice core and your attendance looked pretty good in the playoffs. You're selling out games. You're making millions. Every team makes millions in the playoffs. That's real. We know that. And then after all of that, you announce when the winter meetings start or right before it that you're trimming payroll. That's a tough sell. That's tough. I just don't understand why you're in the business if that's what you're so concerned about. You know, it, an owner, like Kratz said, coming out and focusing on talking financials versus talking winning. It's just not why you should be in the sports team business. I'm telling you, there are other things to do with your life. Because also, what's happening with the sons of these billionaires or self-made billionaires or owners of teams is that they're not only tarnishing the sport, they're tarnishing their family's legacy. That's real. When you come out and you get obsessive about trying to prove to daddy that you can save a few bucks, this is not the spot for it. This is a spot where you will be publicly embarrassed. And all you have to do is look over to a team like Oakland. But there are others too. You know, Baltimore's out of that business now. But like you mentioned, Kratz, John Middleton speaks to the media, the owner of the Phillies, and he talks about winning. Period. That's it. Right. It just is, win, baby. And maybe, and maybe this is just a complete player's point of view, but I feel like if there's three pieces to a team, ownership, fans, players, like fans and players are on the same page. Like you don't need to spend ludicrous amounts. And I thought the twins were starting to kind of move in that direction a, a little bit, like spending more. And then when you come out and say this, the year after you make the playoffs, like, did you work at a deficit last year because you made the playoffs? Very doubtful. Agreed. And how much money do you think they made in the playoffs? Well, people in Minnesota, you remember the atmosphere when they played the Jays? How awesome was that atmosphere when they were there? How awesome was it when they played Houston? I was there. It was an unbelievable home field advantage for the Twins. In Target Field, their new park. I mean, it's not new anymore, but the one they built specifically to try to win a World Series. And listen, as a Minnesota Twins you know, fan, and, and I still know a lot of them, they're like, man, if we could just add that one more piece, we might be able to take the next step. And now mm -hmm. you're hear your owner come out. I mean, just, I don't know. I, yeah. I mean, as a former player, listen, I want the owners to spend money and as owners, they want to save money. So I get it, but not everyone can be Tampa Bay. Not everyone can be the Orioles. The, the, the pirates have tried it. They haven't done it. The A's have tried it. They haven't done it. Right. And none of these teams have won a world series. That's the other thing. None of these teams that all these teams want to be have won anything in forever. So you got to spend at some point to win. And I understand it's unsustainable or whatever they want to say, but at least go for it. Like they're in a window now with Correa and Royce Lewis and Pablo Lopez and all these guys. Like this is when you Duran coming out of their bullpen throwing a million. Like this is when you got to just shove it in for a year or two. At least give it your best shot. Not say, well, we're going to take a step back now, guys. Yep. 
I'm with you. I want to be the Giants. What? I want to be the Giants of 2010 to 2016. Yeah, that's who I'm going to emulate my organization after. That is a good run. All right, let's show a little spring a training uh, speech before we talk to Ken Rosenthal that fired up the crowd. Pat Murphy, who was a star yesterday for riding around the scooter that he was given by his lovely players that he'll be coaching this year. And he gave his speech as a manager, a full-time manager in Major League Baseball here in spring training for the Brew Crew. I don't care about what others are saying, how much we're gonna win. We're gonna win this many games because of this, because of this, that's all bull crap. You gotta be in the present moment, but we get divided. Oh, am I gonna be in the All-Star game, am I not? Doesn't freaking matter. What matters is what? We win tonight. You gotta be willing to be responsible, disciplined, aware. You gotta be open to have other people talk to you. Open to look at yourself in the mirror. That's what it's about. But I wanna win until they tap us on the shoulder and say, it's over, bro, there's no more games. That's it, that's my expectation. I didn't come in here to participate and say, oh, the old man got a chance to, to manage. Okay? Let's have a great day, fellas. Oh, that's nice. That's cute for Pat. Freddie wasn't fan. smiling, though. Freddie didn't like it very much. He wasn't smiling. It's the only time I've ever seen Freddie Peralta not smile. Yeah, because it's serious mode He's for like a this. second. Freddie's loud. I was like, damn, Freddie. Freddie's what? your opening day starter. Well, I mean, it's either him or Wade. No, it's no, Freddie. It's Freddie, dude. If that's Freddy's why it's not even close. It's Freddy. definitely Freddie. Yeah. yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's Freddie or, yeah, wait, I mean, yeah, DL Hall. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, probably not. Yeah, yeah. I mean, hopefully. Yeah. You guys like that? What, what's the? Uh, oh, I love that. Listen, I always, I always found it interesting. Uh, guys, how different guys would give speeches, right? Like guys would. Different man. I played for a lot of managers. Ozzy. So. <laughs> Ozzy kind of gave the same speech. The one thing I'll say about Ozzy is he always was – Ozzy was always good. Ozzy, Ozzy introduced everybody and said mm -hmm. his thing, and he was always pretty good. You know, he always ended it with, you know, you know, his big thing, and especially in Arizona we talked about this, was like, uh, you know, he was big on, like, being responsible and taking care of things off the field and doing things the right way. He was He was big into that, so – I had Ozzy. I mean, I remember Robin Ventura when his his first year as manager. He had this like, he had like a a, a sheet of paper, like a notebook pad, and he had all these things written down. He literally said about seven words, and that was it. And he's like, "Okay, guys, let's go." And it was actually perfect for Robin, if you know Robin. It was like, it was like, "All right, let's let's go. We're gonna try and win. Let's go. I want everyone to give hundred percent, and let's go. And I'm gonna leave you alone." Boom. And that was, but that was Robin's personality. So I mean, every manager does it differently, but that was perfect in the in the Murph's mentality the way he's going to manage, and, and I'm all for it. Just be genuine, be yourself, and the guys will get behind you. I have one big league speech that is just seared in my mind. 2006, J.P. Ricciardi comes into the room, and the Blue Jays had just – this is my first big league camp, so I'm sitting here like, this is going to be awesome. Like, they're going to get these dudes pumped up. We got Roy Holiday, A.J. Burnett, Troy Glosses in the house, like – it is full tip. Like, they got some dudes that offseason, if you guys remember that that year. And I'm sitting there. I'm sitting in the back like, oh, man, like I'm going to get pumped up. J.P. Ristardi starts it with, 
Well, you know, guys, American League East is a tough division. Tough division. So you know what? We're going to go out there. We're just going to try our best. And I'm like looking around at these guys like somebody's going to say something like, no, we're going to win this thing. Crickets. I was like, well, all right. It's not what I expected. Does the GM speak like that? Sometimes. A lot Sometimes. Of times. A lot of times the GM says something. Yeah. <laughs> depends on what team you are. Most of the time the GMs say, hey, I assembled this team to try to win. I assembled this team to try to, you know, get us into the postseason. I believe in you guys. And then the manager kind of takes over. Mm. You know, usually how a manager meetings go at the beginning, they start out, they introduce themselves, they introduce the coaching staff, they introduce the, the peripheral staff, the doctors, the trainers, the whoever's, the travel guys, the clubhouse guys, all that. And then they go into what they want to say. But usually the GM speaks first, says something like a little more rah-rah than what Kratz's guy said. But, you know, it's a little more like, hey, I assemble this team expecting to win and let's basically let's freaking go. Mm-hmm. And then the manager takes over. Again, manager, just be yourself. Use your personality because guys will get behind you if you are yourself and you're genuine. Don't don't fake it. Good stuff. Let's bring in Ken Rosenthal, FT Senior Insider, right now to dig into some biz. And Ken, we got a lot to cover with you. Let's start with some of the comments from players in the past week about a soft call out for their teams to stay active in the hot stove conversation. Many fans asking for your thoughts on someone like Raphael Devers, usually on the quieter side, speaking out. What do you think? For sure, that was the most surprising of the three. Actually, Mike Trout might have been tied with Devers for surprising. Aaron Judge was the least aggressive, in my opinion. He basically just said, yeah, I think we might have another move coming. He didn't lobby necessarily for it, but Trout certainly did. He said he was lobbying, and Devers made it clear, as the most veteran player on this team, or the longest standing with regard to the Red Sox, I should say, he made it clear that what has happened this offseason is not satisfactory. And when he said, you guys know what we need, we all know what they need. Starting pitching. Top of the line starting pitching. And they have not addressed that. They have basically said, we're not going to address that. Sam Kennedy was quoted as saying, and he's the team president, well, I understand why everyone's concerned. We should now focus on the players that are here. Well, that, that, he can focus on the players that are here, but that doesn't mean that everyone else has to follow his lead, including those players in his own clubhouse. So I continue to remain baffled by the Red Sox offseason and why they suddenly are not as competitive as they once were. And yes, competition in this regard translates to adding, to spending. And they have not done that really in a meaningful way at all. Is Devers coming out saying this? Super meaningful in the fact that possibly they told him, hey, we're going to compete. When they signed, when he signed his $300-plus contract, they told him, hey, we're going to continue to build around you. And now they're not. He's almost questioning possibly what they told him. You know, I'm not saying they lied to him, but is that possible? Eric, I would imagine when he signed that contract, he had the implicit understanding that they were going to compete. Why would he think otherwise? The one thing that they've done consistently is spend and try. They have not gone backwards in really any way at all since he's been there. So I don't know if the conversation took place, but let's say it did not just for the sake of discussion. And he assumed, or he was told for that matter, that they were going to be as competitive as usual 
Well, it would be understandable if he felt at this point right now something of a betrayal. And that's what he was getting at. This is not someone who is vocal. This is not someone who, even he said this yesterday, wants to be the vocal presence, the leader of this team. Not necessarily his personality, though he certainly seems willing to grow into it. And guys naturally do grow into it. But what he said was meaningful because he is Rafael Devers. He is the $300 million man. He is their best player. And when he talks in the way that he did, when he speaks like that, it sends a loud message. Whether that message will be heard by a seemingly tone-deaf ownership, I do not know. But his words spoke volumes. These guys are all, they want, they want free agents, they want signings, because there's still some big-name guys out there. They're all Scott Boris guys. What, what's the latest? And and why? I mean, we've discussed this uh, over and over again. Why? But a little bit. I don't know if you heard the show yesterday, but like I was, I was like, teams are just getting smarter and they're not negotiating against themselves, right? They're just not gonna like if you're the Cubs and you think you're the only team with a legit offer to Cody Bellinger, and Scott Boris says, "Oh, I have another offer." Then if you're the Cubs, you're like, prove it. And so far, he hasn't been able to do that. And then also, I asked the question, you know, if a team like the Yankees goes to him and says, "Hey, we got five years, one fifty. Either Snell or Monty takes it. Who does he go to first? So explain if you've heard anything, when this is going to come to an end, or what the end looks like. AJ, I wrote yesterday about a number of executives who have basically commented on the fact that they're not necessarily going to be heavy in the free agent market at this point. Farhan Zaidi of the Giants said that. He said, if we can't get a deal done in the past three and a half months, why should we think we're going to get one done now? You heard from Chris Young, the Rangers GM, who said, I don't expect any additions. Ross Atkins, the Blue Jays GM, has said, yes, if we make an addition, there's going to have to be a subtraction. These are not men who sound very enthusiastic about signing one of the remaining free agents. Now, you ask why this is taking place. It's simple math. Boris has one valuation for his clients. The teams have another valuation for his clients. If the valuations had met, they would be signed one or more of them. So I don't know where this ends. And the way I wrote it was one side is going to blink. One side always blinks. The big Boris Ford, the guys we've been talking about, Bellinger and Chapman and Snell and Montgomery, they're all going to play this year. The question is, uh, where are they going to play? How much are they going to play for? Who is going to blink? Usually the clubs do blink. And maybe with the pitchers, if injuries occur, that will happen. But I had a GM from another club who's not interested in any of these guys or not in play for any of these guys. He told me yesterday, okay, let's say a pitcher gets hurt, a starting pitcher, a prominent one on a contending team. That team is probably not going to give Blake Snell $200 million like that. So I don't know where this is going. And every year, as I wrote, we wait, people eagerly await some people in the game for Boris to get his comeuppance. Sometimes he does, more often he does not. I don't know if it happens this time, we'll see, but it's becoming increasingly difficult to believe that all four of the Boris four are going to get deals that you would think are commensurate with their abilities. Okay, uh, so then my next question is, the, Bor- the Boris four, fine. You know, fine, if they're going to get the comeuppance or whatever. Owners are like, we're going to get Scott Boris this year. That's fine. I get it. I understand that. I mean, it sucks for the players because they don't really have anything to do with it. But but my other question, and I asked this, you know, last couple of days is, a Tim Anderson, 
some other guys. Hunjin Ryu obviously went back to Korea. But there's some other names, Tommy Pham, that are good players. Michael Lorenzo. Why haven't these guys signed? That's That, to me, is more concerning than the big guys. First of all, AJ, I am not saying that Boris is going to get his comeuppance. I'm saying okay. we don't know. And I know, I'm saying it's increasingly difficult to believe that all four of these guys are going to get monster deals. Maybe it happens, but I'm just having a hard time seeing it from afar. What is going on in an individual negotiations, who knows? And as I wrote also, even though the executives are saying this, what executives say and do are sometimes two different things. What agents sometimes say and do are two different things. Now, to your question, there are a number of good players still out there. That right-handed hitting outfield group, it's Tommy Pham, it's Michael A. Taylor, it's Adam Duval. To some extent, they're being held up by Chapman and Bellinger because the teams that sign those guys, or actually the teams that don't sign those guys, might pivot to one of those outfielders. You would think they could get a deal some other way, but apparently it's not happening. Lorenzen is still out there, Clevenger is still out there, Eric Lauer is still out there. These are all competent major league pitchers at varying degrees. I'm not sure why they're not signed. Clearly some teams, and we've discussed this, have been handicapped by the question of future local television revenue and the cord-cutting era and what that all means. Texas certainly has been affected. There's no question. In my mind, they would have signed Jordan Montgomery if not for their uncertainty, or at least not the uncertainty in the owner's mind. You can make the case that maybe they should go forward anyway. Arizona has some of the same uncertainty, and yet they've made a series of free agent acquisitions. So I can't give you an answer why these players are still unsigned. Maybe to some degree they're tied as well to the guys who are remaining. Even the pitchers, I guess, could be tied to Snell and Montgomery. But it's been a very odd market. Not the first slow-developing market in recent years, and it won't be the last probably. But... It is weird to see four such prominent players out there, along with J.D. Martinez, along with all the other ones I just mentioned. Ken, my last question on this topic is how weird it is to hear from certain front offices saying that they're done. I mean, I mentioned this yesterday. Brian Cashman said, we're not putting our pencils down. I respect that. I think a team like the Giants with fire anxiety shouldn't say, it's been three and a half months, so we're basically done. The Blue Jays, etc. Cool. If they end up signing one of these players and saying, oh, look, he fell to us. This all worked out. So that's what we meant. That's fine. But why even go out there and say that you're done? You know it's going to piss off the fan base. Are they that bothered about the process right now with some of the free agents that they just felt the need to say that their offseason is complete? I don't know the reason for that exactly, Scott. I imagine in some cases, perhaps, it was a message to Scott Boris saying we're not bending. And again, teams say plenty of things, agents say plenty of things, and go back on them if circumstances change. In the case of Chris Young, Texas Rangers GM, in my mind, and I have not asked him about this, but my guess is he just wanted to lower expectations because people have expected all offseason, and I think Scott Boris expected, that the Rangers would sign Jordan Montgomery. Their ownership is not authorizing that to happen. So in his case, when he says that, maybe he just means, listen, we're not going there. We can't go there at this point based on what our owner is telling us. Toronto, I'm not sure. Cashman certainly is still working. They're always all still working. To think otherwise is folly. 
These guys are constantly going at it. And yes, if Boris came to Farhan Zaidi tomorrow and said, Matt Chapman at a price, I don't know, whatever the price might be, but it's acceptable to the Giants, they're signing Matt Chapman. They're not done. So to some extent, this might be posturing, but at the same time, I think what AJ said initially is also accurate. That teams, I don't know if smarter is the right word, but they have gotten more disciplined with how they approach these things. They're at a number, they're not going beyond that number, and that's it. All right, so I read yours and Steven Nesbitt's article about mediocrity. Have the Pirates put their line in the sand? Has that, is because I know a lot of people that work in that front office, that a lot of people that work on that coaching staff and players, they don't want mediocrity, but it keeps pointing back to one person, Bob Nutting. Correct, and... The gist of the article, for those who haven't read it, is nothing is not going to spend. He hasn't spent. That's not exactly a news flash. But if you're going to take that position, if you're going to act in that manner, then you've got to nail player development. You've got to nail scouting. You've got to nail international. And they haven't really done that. It's not for lack of effort. They've had some successes. And yes, this winter, they've been a little bit more aggressive than they've been in the past. They've done some things. Chapman was a fairly large signing for them, $10.5 million for one year. But every other team in that division has still spent more. And their farm system, while having some promise, particularly on the pitching end with Paul Skeens coming, it really has not produced at the level of, say, the Orioles system or some other systems that have spit out major league talent, guys who have exceeded expectations and become really good players. So they've got to do all that to succeed. And it's a fine line that they walk because they don't have the flexibility financially with major league payroll to do other things. And that's the gist of what it's about. I know it's a long article, but I encourage people to read it because it does speak to a lot of the issues in today's game and not just the small market issue, which is a significant one, but in the Pirates' case, there is some conflict or has been between old school thinking and new school thinking. This is common to virtually every club, and they're going through it as well, or have. And there's just a lot that goes into making a successful franchise. Free agency is usually one aspect of it. But if you're not going to play in free agency in a meaningful way, and their biggest contracts are, for the most part, all extensions. If you're not going to be in the market, the open market, then you better hit on everything else that's hard to do, but they haven't necessarily done it. And you hit on the article, you talked about nuns. John Nunley being essentially let go for working with Key Brian Hayes, they're one of their superstars in the big leagues while he was a double-A. I'm not sure if he was a manager or if he was a hitting coach in double-A. He yeah. was a hitting coach. Nuns is awesome. And I just, right before you got on here, talked about how the Rays, well, what's the difference between the Rays and other organizations? It's a communication. If they have a double-A hitting coach who's going to help one of their premier players, why not get out of the way and let him help? Not saying he needs to be in the big leagues, but let him help. This seems like it kind of went the other direction, or did I read it incorrectly? You didn't read it incorrectly, though we don't explicitly state, and no one explicitly states that he was let go at the end of the season because of his secret work with Cabrian Hayes. Both of them wanted to keep it private, so as not to embarrass anyone, anyone on the major league staff. They just figured they'd work together. And Cabrian Hayes performed much better after he did work with John Nunnally, who he'd worked with in spring training and worked with in the past. Teams 
usually, well, they've come to live with the fact that players are going to use their own outside instructors from time to time. A lot of guys do this. In fact, almost all of them do to some degree. And I don't know why this would have caused any more of an issue than any of those caused, especially because John Nunnally was an employee of the Pittsburgh Pirates. But Nunnally seemed to believe, actually, he didn't say this explicitly either, but he was let go after all this happened. He did say for sure the Pirates were upset that it happened. And I don't know what the answer is as far as why he was let go, but this certainly seemed to play a role. It would give that indication. And we quote players in the article. We didn't use everything we had either. We had space limitations at some point. And we had other players from, I mean, other quotes from other players saying this guy is amazing. He makes you feel like the best hitter alive. That was one that didn't make the story. So you have someone like that. I don't know what other issues might have been there. We never know these things. But I always think with players, talented players, sometimes you put up with stuff that you might not like. Well, maybe this was a case where that should have been what the Pirates were thinking. And they're not the only organization. that I had people in other organizations – do the same thing and say, well, you don't need to talk to that guy because, and he's part of, and the guy was part of the organization. So it's, it's, it happens. It, it happens. But my, my question is on, in, in the picture we showed, you showed nutting, you showed Derek Sheldon, who's one of my favorites. And then you show Ben Charrington, right? He was the GM when I played for the Red Sox in 2014. He had three losing seasons and he, and he, won, he won a world series in 2013. And that was a team of destiny, obviously after the, the bombing and the horrible things that happened. And, and I think if you ask people, they'll say, hey, they probably weren't the most talented team in 2013, but everything went together, came together, right, perfectly. And great, they did it. But is Ben Charrington the right guy to lead this? Because is he the right guy to find these prospects? Is he the right guy to pick who gets the extensions? And Because he's been there for a while now, and it hasn't exactly upticked that fast. This is his fifth year, AJ. And there seems to be little question that this is a big year for Sherrington and his group. And Bob Nutting told us and he told the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette earlier that he expects the team to take a meaningful step forward. He expects contention. So if they don't contend, I assume there is a possibility of change. They had a similar circumstance when Neil Huntington was their GM before Sherrington. He went into his fifth year, I believe it was 2013, and they were kind of teetering. And then in 13, they had the first of their three straight playoff runs. And or it was, I'm not sure I have the sequence right, but he got a sixth year. Maybe it's the sixth year was the first of the playoff runs. And they stuck with him. So perhaps they'll stick with Ben Sherrington, even if this year doesn't go as planned. But it is clear there is a sense of urgency, at least coming from the owner, Bob Nutting. They expect to contend. They expect to take a meaningful step forward. And I assume if it doesn't happen, perhaps there will be ramifications. And what's interesting is if you're – Looking at this, again, from a further perspective, an outside perspective, you know that Sherrington is operating under limitations. And you also know, as I stated earlier, that when you operate under those limitations, you've got to nail everything else. That's the question. Have they really done as good a job as they possibly could? Perhaps we'll get more answers to that this year in a positive way. Perhaps some of their younger players will start to pop. Let's see how it plays out. They're not going to be in the playoff race in September. Contention's a big. I mean, if I you're, see it. I mean, you take you not take Dave, you take Davis one one. Mm-hmm. He better be a star, and he's not. He hasn't turned out to be that yet. No. Right, I, and and they drafted him because of this. 
I mean, he can hit, but they he was a catcher. That was his value. And they, they he caught, what, two innings last year in the big league level, played right yeah, field? The, the Pirates are part of this epidemic, Ken. We just had Nick Crawl on, and we asked him about it because, you know, the uh, the son of, of Polad, who now runs the Twins, basically said they want to be the Orioles or the really the race, right? And that's what everybody says in front of the camera and behind the scenes these days. And Nick Crawl said to us, competitive is a losing word. And he brought up the example that Kratz just said right before the interview, which was, I want to be the giant, the dynasty giants. I want to win championships. Everyone keeps bringing up the same couple teams. And the Pirates have to be in the same boat. They're hoping, oh, we get Charrington in. Maybe he can do this whole Michael Elias rebuild and turn us into a stud organization. Only a few of those work. That's true, uh, Scott. Very true. And competitive as a goal is okay when you haven't been competitive. You've got to start somewhere. And I don't mind that. Obviously, every team's goal is to win the World Series. That's unspoken. It doesn't need to be said. If you're the Pirates, yeah, you need to be competitive. Now, I understand what Nick Kroll is saying. And Nick Kroll is saying, hey, man, we are a team that has taken a step forward. We want to go beyond that. We want to get to a point where we're in the playoffs and doing big things. And you know what? The Reds have a chance of doing that because Nick Kroll has made some shrewd trades. They've gotten some development successes going, and they're in a really good place. I don't know how good they're going to be, but I like what I see, and I'm interested to follow that team. So I understand the modest goals and the bigger goals, but – Really, the question is, how do you go forward? And let's face it, the Orioles tore it all the way down to go forward. The Pirates were kind of in a similar position. They had repeated top 10 picks, and they haven't worked out as well, at least to this mm -hmm. point. Yeah, I'm with you. It's a great article. Everyone give it a look right now in The Athletic. Ken, thank you. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, guys. Fair territory out there for the world to consume on YouTube, on the FT channel, and wherever you get your pods. And there's a look at the topics this week, which includes more on the Boris conversation, Bogart's moving positions. Um, Ken's inside dish is pretty interesting on the Kansas City situation. Nationals v. Strasburg, and a lot more on there. Before we move on, Kratz, I know you started to touch on the article. What'd you think? I mean, you played for the Pirates. It's been a minute. There was like two glory years, but... Man, it's another fan base that I feel for because they deserve so much better than what they have to deal with. And I hate to be a broken record, but they're all a victim of one human being who is deciding their fate as fans. Spot on. The article was spot on. I, I felt like I was taken back to being in the 09-10 Triple A team. Like, and the success that they had. 12, 13, 14, 15, should have been pushed to 16 had they made some more moves. That was despite the things that were put around the players. That was because of the players. They banded together and they did all of that stuff. And that's what, that's what ultimately it comes down to. But think about the fact that if Garrett Cole was still there just through his, just through his arbitration years, just through that time, if they hadn't missed on, you know, Clay Holmes being what Clay Holmes can be, if they hadn't missed on Tyone doing what he does in the sense of keep him through that time, you're able to extend that success and create an environment that people want to come to. 
and the article was spot on. It, he he hit it, and it was like. And I have to also say, Bob Nutting is a very very nice, generous guy. Some of the stuff he did <laughs> for some of the players is awesome. Competitive, wanting to win, and putting a team on the field below average. I mean, they had look at the people they had: Glassnell, Cole, Tyon, uh, Meadows. I mean, there is a Morton. I was there when Morton got traded. They traded, they traded for Morton in the Jeff Karstens, you know that that type of era. They got rid of guys, and then they started bringing other guys in, and they hit on some of those trades. And if you don't, if you don't hit on those trades, if you don't hit on what is going to build your organization, you can't do the thing that they hit on in the article about how you're telling Brian Hayes. Hey, you know what? You can't go and see the double A hitting coach. I would say, I don't care if you go and see a hitting coach from another team, whatever it takes to make you better. And I know Andy Hayes, the hitting coach in the big leagues, is not afraid of that. Andy Hayes is all about the players. And when you deviate from that, you have a big time issue. And it's just, it's just not, it's not what you're looking for. One of my, I call him my little brother. Haas, congrats on 13 seasons. I'm going to say you probably only got 12, but I'll, I'll give you 13. One of the best defensive third basemen, one of the best teammates I ever had. We, we met each other in 2010 playing for Team USA on the star-studded lineup, star-studded roster that we had that year. This guy was a surefire first-round draft pick out of high school some of the best power you'd ever see out of high school. And this is, this is a successful draft pick. He helped lead our Royals to a World Series championship, including the game – no, the ninth inning double to pull us within a run in game five of the World Series against the Mets. Ultimately ended up winning that game because they left Matt Harvey in too long. Appreciate you, Tim. Mr. Terry Collins, but Haas, congrats. I'm so proud of you. Hopefully the best in, in everything you do. And now you're a family man too. So that's going to be a huge change. Hope you're good at golf. All right. So a little slap hands action to finish up the show, but look, we did it. got so hot at one point that I lost you guys. The phone said it was overheating. <laughs> Amateur outing. Yeah. Uh, there's a tweet coming up, Kratz, that I guess you have to read because I don't think I can see it. It's too, it's too small for you. TJ, I appreciate that. It says, well, foul territory. TV may have some technical problems, but Eric Kratz, at Eric Kratz 31, is cooking. The kids mean... I'm doing a great job. And now Scott Braun <laughs> is calling in from a car. Let's go. Dedication and determination. Appreciate you, TJ. Yeah, we have no electricity. We don't have internet. We're on phones here, at least two of us. So thanks, Eric Burns, who is not one of the guests that you would bring hey. on and get one or two sentence answers, AJ. So he helped the cause. Hey, but, by the way, too. hey, TJ, what about me, bro? I'm in the same place Scott is. I don't get no love. That's bull. You know what? <laughs> 
Hey, it's You're okay. You're in comfier, comfier confines at the moment, what, AJ. What do you, I'm, I'm on the porch. You're in your car with your massaging chair and your red leather, you know, your Corinthian <laughs> red leather and your leather band fancy book. car. Yeah, exactly. I painted I mean, this I'm myself. A, AJ. Know, I'm, in a, I'm in a patio in a patio chair. AJ, listen. Six out of seven days, it's your, it's your show. You're the starter. Six out of seven days, this is my one day. I get a little hey, praise. You don't have to I give post-game interviews. I love it. Mm-hmm. I'm happy for you. I'm happy for you. I'm happy. Because when it went and the power went out, guess what? Cratchy Scott looked at me and goes, what the fuck do we do now? And I go, <laughs> we let Kratz run the show. <laughs> That's Ooh. true. Kratz, what do you got? We got a little old school, like when they still had turf, Syracuse Sky Chiefs had the AstroTurf. I feel like there's still some AstroTurf pellets in there. I mean, not pellets, like <laughs> fragments of AstroTurf and like hamstrings that get pulled on it because it's so hot and terrible. But old school, Chiefs. Go Chiefs and go Hunter Pence joining us tomorrow. With a little more Bay Area Water flavor. Team. Looking forward to another guy that I've worked with in the past who's pretty outspoken and Brandon Gomes, GM of the Dodgers, getting some front office action this week too. So thanks for hanging with us on FT. We're back, normal timing tomorrow. Remember, next week we start at 11 a.m. Eastern time for the rest of spring training, but let's uh, let's get some electricity. If anyone knows a good electrician or has a generator that they can overnight to us, that would be great. Thanks. <laughs> Hit subscribe too. Scott never remembers that. Place your first BetMGM sportsbook wager through the app of at least five bucks. Paps in. You'll receive $150 (laughs) instantly in additional winnings regardless of your wager's outcome. Download the app, sign up and deposit at least five bucks into the new account. Place a wager in the amount of at least five bucks at standard odds price. And then once you do that, you will receive $150 in bonus bets regardless of the outcome of your wager. Gambling problem or concern? Call 1-800-GAMBLER.